for all who exalt themselves will be humbled. May Jesus Christ be praised and glorified both now and unto the ages of ages. Amen. One of my favorite Abilene stories is about the public official who began a meeting by praying, Oh Lord, I thank you for making me so humble. <laughs> Humility. It's one of those more interesting virtues that we celebrate in the Christian tradition. On one hand, we are told that there is deep value in being humble in not thinking of others as better than ourselves. We might be even encouraged to thank God for making us so humble. On the other hand, when we focus on how humble we are, can we still call that humility? This question is relevant to the parable that we heard in our gospel reading this morning. One of the interesting features of the parables in Luke's gospel is that the characters often seem to know that they are being used as negative examples. They are either blessed with unusual self-awareness, like the unjust judge from last week's reading, who says at one point, though I have no fear of God and do not respect anyone, or they are such caricatures that it's hard to even listen to them without thinking, I don't want to be anything like that guy. And the Pharisee from this morning's gospel passage seems to fall into this latter category. It's hard to imagine someone behaving more obnoxiously in a worship setting. The Pharisee boasts about his spiritual accomplishments, telling God and loudly enough for everyone else to hear, that he fasts twice a week and gives 10% of his income. Moreover, he thanks God that he is not like other people, including those who are classically and conspicuously sinful, namely thieves, rogues, and adulterers. And to make things even more awkward, he compares himself directly to someone in the room thanking God that he is not like this tax collector over here. Had to be careful where I pointed. <laughs> In the meantime, the tax collector humbly and quietly prays in the corner, beseeching God to be merciful. It would seem that the conclusion we are meant to draw from this parable is obvious. Don't be like the Pharisee. Be like the tax collector. Jesus seems to confirm this when he announces that all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. And yet I wonder if this interpretation is overly simplistic. After all, it's not as though the Pharisee is living his life in a way that is especially problematic. Not being a thief or an adulterer, these are positive attributes. Fasting and tithing, these are spiritual disciplines that are prescribed under the Jewish law. It's also worth pointing out that tax collectors in particular were reviled among first century Jews. 
They were perceived as traitors to their community, motivated by greed. So the Pharisee's primary error, in other words, appears to be that his behavior is gauche. One just doesn't talk about oneself in this way. And yet, in the first century, talking like this, even in a worship context, was considered appropriate. Indeed, boasting about your spiritual accomplishments, that was a way of encouraging others to follow your example. You, too, could have a relationship with God like the one I have. Now, it may be that Jesus is saying that, well, this is no longer an appropriate or faithful way to behave. St. Paul, after all, tells us that boasting is excluded as a result of what God has done in Jesus Christ. But even if this is the case, it still complicates the easy interpretation of this text. Because if the conclusion that we are meant to draw from this parable is that we should be more like the tax collector than the Pharisee, And if the Pharisee's error is not that he tithes or fasts or avoids sinful behavior, but that he exhibits performative self-righteousness, does that mean that we are supposed to exhibit performative humility? Was the tax collector justified because he demonstrated that he was so humble by beating his breast? and asking for God's mercy. And if so, isn't that just another form of self-righteousness? It seems clear that the simplistic interpretation of this text falls short. What then is Jesus saying when he proclaims that all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. I wonder if this is one of those moments when Jesus is not being prescriptive, but rather descriptive. It's easy to miss, since it certainly seems as though Jesus is inviting us to compare the Pharisee and the tax collector. And yet I don't think that Jesus is making a value judgment per se. Indeed, I wonder if this saying of Jesus is less about telling us how we ought to behave and more about helping us recognize reality. Because if we are honest, we have very little need to humble ourselves. Life usually takes care of that for us. No matter who we are, where we come from, or how much we feel like we are in control of our lives, there will be moments in life when everything seems to fall apart. So often we try to forestall this inevitability, to defend ourselves against the specter of loss through the process of acquisition, believing that what we possess, our money, our property, our status, our accomplishments, our reputation, 
that what we possess will save us. We exalt ourselves in this way because our culture tells us that these possessions will provide security, that they can prevent us from experiencing all the bad things that can happen to us, that they can prevent us from experiencing death. And yet, no matter how much we have exalted ourselves, no matter how much we think we have insulated ourselves from the changes and chances of this life, Jesus tells us that we will be humbled. Paul tells us that Jesus himself did not regard equality with God as something to possess, but emptied himself, let himself be humbled to experience the death of the cross. What we have will not save us. When Jesus says all who exalt themselves will be humbled, he is reminding us, in the words of Rowan Williams, that commitment to possession is commitment to death. But there is good news. And the good news is this, that even when life humbles us in the most dramatic and traumatic ways, we will be exalted. Not by the things we possess, not that the, by the things that we accumulate, but by what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. Even when we lose everything, even when everything falls apart around us, even when nothing makes sense anymore, God's love, God's grace, and God's faithfulness remain. When we put our trust in this persistent faithfulness, we will be, once again, in the words of Rowan Williams, delivered from our addictive need to own the world. We will be free to recognize that it is only by God's grace and not by what we possess, it is only by God's grace that we are saved. It is, of course, somewhat ironic that this is the parable appointed for the day we have chosen as Stewardship Dedication Sunday. It shows my failure to look at the lectionary. <laughs> Just after we hear the Pharisee criticized for boasting about how much he gives, we're going to be invited to come forward and very publicly place our own gifts and pledges in a big brass bowl. Nevertheless, I do think there is a symbolic power to the way we are being invited to make our financial commitment to this parish. And it has less to do with the act of coming forward with our pledge card in hand, showing it off to everybody, and more to do with that moment when you let it go, 
and drop it into the bowl. Because if you think about it in the right way, this gesture of letting go can change the way we see the world. This letting go is a symbol of our deliverance from our need to own the world. It's an icon of our recognition that the things we possess will not provide us security. And it is the embodiment of our trust that even when life humbles us, we will be exalted by God's grace.